Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. All right, welcome to part two of my interview with Eric Feltes. In this interview, we talk about purity culture, unaffirming churches, and setting boundaries on social media, which Eric has a lot of experience in and does a great job with that. So I'm excited for you guys to check this out. Uh, let's jump into part two. So you, you're pre- creating a lot of prolific content on Instagram and TikTok, right? Um, yeah. I would say a lot of your posts are you responding to like horrible comments that you get, right? Of people oh, yeah. poking at stuff you say or your message or whatever. Um, I guess I'm curious, what, what are you hoping to accomplish when you're like showcasing these different things that you're having to sort through or the backlash that you're getting? What's, yeah. um, what's going on there? <laughs> What's, what's, what's going on there? <laughs> like, I don't mean you like, doing, you be... you're doing okay, Eric. <laughs> I just mean like, obviously you're, you're, there's something behind it that you're like, Hey, this is important. This is worth doing because you're putting energy and effort into creating these videos. What are you hoping to accomplish or like, you, yeah, know, yeah. Gonna, yeah. you know, it's a great question. You know, one thing that I see a lot is people will say things like, you know, don't waste your energy or your breath. They don't want to change. They're not going to change. Um, Hey, we're not certain that that's true. Um, But I understand the sentiment of that, like save your energy. Don't focus so much on the negative comments. I understand where that comes from. I don't do it for me. I don't need to do it. I don't need to do it for me. I don't do it for me. I do it for others for a couple of reasons. Reason one, I want to show people a variety of ways that you can set boundaries. So sometimes I delete the comment. Sometimes I ignore it. Sometimes I block the person. I don't know anyone an explanation for why I do these things either. Sometimes I do push back. Sometimes I try to reason. Sometimes I give them facts. Sometimes I make a joke out of it, right? Like I try to bring humor to the situation to show how ridiculous this is. So I show you various ways that you can set boundaries because if that person is talking to me that way, they probably feel the same way about themselves. And also they're bullying other people in their lives for it. So the other reason I do it is to empower other people. I want to give voice to the people who don't feel they can talk. I can't say how many times I get messages. I said this already. People like, I've never, like, I've always felt that way and I've never put words to it. Thank you, right? I think that I give power to people who don't feel they have power inside of them through those messages. Nice. Totally. I get a lot of hate comments, like I said, on Facebook. I tend to do. I see your stories and it's like, oh my God, your hate comments. I know. So I tend to like showcase those on my Instagram stories. They don't really go anywhere else at this point. But my goal in the commentary that I'm putting and responding to these questions is in a similar approach. And I'm fascinated by the subconscious motivation behind this work. You know, I'm like, sometimes I have to wonder like, who am I talking to? Most of the time I'm not talking to the people who made the comments. I'm talking to the people who are affected by the comments, right? right. And giving them commentary or response to help 
what's the word disarm the way that right. these horrible comments do actually negatively impact the people who see them so i don't i often don't get tripped up by these horrible comments from people but people who are queer who follow me who see those comments they can get derailed by just seeing someone say that to me because they're like well they're saying that about me too right so right. it's fast and then people come in and they have their opinions about you know why are you sharing this or whatever and it's i I'm, i think it's actually like noble work i think this these like satirical or like humorous or clapback commentaries i think are actually like doing really good work for people who aren't who are like in the closet or like won't acknowledge publicly that this is helpful for them but they'll slide into our yeah. DM. they won't say anything but they're following you know and then they chime in six months later and like i've been following you for a while thank you so much you're like where were you all those times right but that happens all the time and so i see you like every day like putting content out there addressing this un like incessant backlash against queer people um i'm curious i get this question asked a lot i'm curious what you'd say to it um how do you overcome all this negativity regularly yeah um I mean, sometimes I struggle, you know, I, sometimes I'll see the comments, like, how do you do it? Like, how do you, how are you, how are you so resilient every time? And I'm like, well, you don't see what's in my drafts. You don't see me going ape shit on these people. And it happens. And I just don't post it. Um, I, there is so many techniques that I can talk to you about. I journal on a daily basis. Um, I, I have some other life coach friends who help to keep me stable. I meditate on a daily basis. I just started this new uh, coaching modality that now I am using with my clients. It's called Regenerating Images and Memory. And it's similar. Well, they, people say that it's, I've heard that it's the opposite of, of um, hypnosis in that hypnosis is much more guided, whereas Regenerating Images and Memory is much more facilitated by me. But what we do is we dip into the subconscious and see what else comes, whatever comes up. Um, I won't go into exactly what that process is like, but in having those facilitated on me has been life-changing because what it does is if I get angry at a comment, it's not about the comment. It's reactivating inner child trauma. So then I have to ask myself, oh, I'm being reactivated right now because it's not about this person. Um, because then you think I'm going to fix it. I'm going to control my anger by lashing out at them. And then I'm no better than them, which I, which I do sometimes, by the way, I'm not perfect. Um, but I realize that it's a deeper, it's, it's deeper. It's, it's reactivating some unresolved childhood trauma. So then I take that to my notebook or on a run or in my meditation, right? So I just try to see what's underneath that. I did try to dip into the subconscious and see what's really going on. I recently started implementing, um, you know, boundaries on Instagram. I don't, you, I don't look at my Instagram most Sundays. Um, if things are posted, it's, it's uh, automatic or my assistant will do it. That has been hard because I am addicted to it. I am. And there are times where I look for the negativity. I feel it. I feel it. I'm looking for a, a, a reason to get angry and that's not healthy. Um, it's a blessing and a curse to be so mindful. <laughs> um, and so, so, so that those are some of the boundaries I set. Now, the five steps of the, well, I'll say the first three steps of, of the shame free program as well is noting the beliefs holding you back, questioning and challenging those beliefs, adopting more empowering beliefs. And I think that I, I will never give anything to my clients that I don't practice on my own. So I practice this as well. 
try to know what is the thought that's holding me back right now? Oh, I'm getting so angry because deep down inside, I believe I'm not enough, right? So I need work. I need a lot of work. I have a lot of work to do on myself. I need to take more breaks. I need to set bigger boundaries around social media. I need to walk away more. I need to focus on the positive more. I get so many wonderful, lovely, supportive comments. And neurologically speaking, it takes five pieces of good news to balance out every one piece of negative news that we consume. And we consume so much negativity. So just knowing that, noting the beliefs holding you back is the first step. Mm, yeah, totally. I noticed like awesome comment, awesome comment, awesome comment, something negative, and it shifts my energy. And I'm like, really? All these other comments didn't do much to me, but all of a sudden, just one little negative comment and my like, energy changes. I'm like, that's crazy. There is something about the negativity somehow has more pull. I don't understand that, but yeah, it's a thing. Well, I think it, I mean, it goes back to caveman days, right? Like when we were, when we, when our species were living in caves, you know, and it's a beautiful sunny day and you can smell the flowers, you don't need to change or react to survive. But if a saber-toothed tiger, tiger comes around, you need to react to survive. It's fight, flight, or fight, fight, flight, or freeze, right? So it stems from survival. We're not being chased by a bear anymore. But this is why I joke about it being a blessing and a curse. This is why mindfulness and noting the beliefs holding back is so important because you have to recognize that's what's happening. Otherwise, you run with the story and you're never free of it. Mm, totally. Yeah, it's really helpful. Interesting. Woo. All right. So Eric, I'm curious. You are a gay man living in LA in the acting world and obviously in the coaching space and then on social media. Um, what's it like being a gay Christian uh, in LA? How's your experience in that space? What do you love? What do you hate? What are some of the challenges, some of the challenges that you're facing there? If, whatever you want to share, obviously like, yeah. Yeah, it took me a long time to, to like LA. I went from hating it to tolerating it, kind of like my queerness, hating it to tolerating it to loving it. And I love living here because I have a good community here. I think that we receive the love that we think we deserve. And I think that you can find that in most spaces. Um, you know, with the stories that I hear, I would much rather be everything that you just said living here instead of so many of the extremely the bible i'll say the bible belt areas um where people feel physically unsafe i never feel physically unsafe um i have a church that i teach sunday school at sometimes i preach um i'm very involved there i have a wonderful group a diverse group of friends um some are christian some are not um but they love me as i am you know i have a really good friend michael sasaki who's buddhist and he introduced me to buddhism and God, I remember when I like fell in love with him platonically it was when he asked the question, just totally out of pure heart out of curiosity. Can you explain to me, Eric, why so many Christians seem to just be so afraid? And I was like, oh my God, it's such a beautiful way of putting that. And so I told him my thoughts on that. And we talked about Jesus and Jesus's life. And he brought me to one of his Buddhist meetings and he's taught me how to chant. And we share such beautiful things about our cultures and our religions and our spirituality. And, and it makes us, and we're so much more similar than we are different. It just makes us better friends. 
Um, and we just love each other, you know? So I would say, especially in the last year, I have such a dear, wonderful group of friends that I can be vulnerable with. Um, it's hard in LA, it's hard as a gay man. You know, it's really hard to meet other gay friends. Again, hurt people hurt people and we are a community of hurt people. Um, but it's wonderful. I love it. The weather is great all the time. I live a block from Runyon Canyon, so I don't have a backyard living in a studio apartment, but I have a dog and I have an awesome hiking trail a block away. Um, there's so many like day trips I can go on here. Uh, and I am so seen, safe and celebrated because of who I am, because I know that I'm worth it because I love myself so much. So I attract people in my life who value my values because of it. I love it. What do you mean by um, we're her community? So we've all, we all have shame. There's a, there's a select small minority group in the gay community of people who, um, by the way, you'll notice y'all that I, I, sometimes I use exclusive language. Sometimes I say gay instead of, instead of queer, instead of LGBTQ. So I specifically say that I help gay men, by the way, trans men are men. So I help gay men, I stand by that. Um, but I use this language because I just want to speak on what I know and I know my own personal experiences. I understand it's, ex it's exclusive language, but I think it's, it's intentional for that reason. Does that make sense? So hurt people hurt people. So we're a community of hurt people because the majority of us have been burned like you and I have. And so many of us haven't done the work. And so we use tactics to avoid vulnerability. Sometimes these are sweeping statements, but sometimes it's bitchiness, right? Sometimes just the lack of, 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 of um, connection. Um, I mean, there've been times where I've walked into parties with predominantly gay people and, 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 and it's, it's hard to feel safe there because it feels like everyone's checking everyone out and sizing everyone up. It seems like a competition. So I, I think that it comes from a place of fear and pain. I think that we as a community have so much work to do. Mm, totally. I have um, so many questions in that direction. Uh, um, I mean, I've only been out for a little over like a year. Um, no, sorry. I've been out for two years to myself, but I guess I've publicly been out for like a little over six months at this point but I've been in the dating space for about a year, a little over a year. And it's like, after a while, I started like asking questions like, this doesn't feel like what I anticipated dating was like, especially like from what I understood about the straight dating world. This doesn't feel the same, that this terrain feels different. The, the culture, I guess I would say, feels different. I'm curious if you have any thoughts to share in in terms of like coming from a, a purity culture background, I'm assuming yeah. that was part of your background, right? Yeah. Um, oh, I had a true love weights ring and everything. You, can you say that again? I had a true, a true love weights ring and everything. You had a purity ring? Oh yeah. Okay, hang on. I need to hear about that. Can you share about that a little bit? I, I mean, there's I literally nothing else to say. <laughs> I had a purity ring. I did, uh, my fiance and I did have sex. We started having sex when I was 21. Um, but I had that ring on till then. <laughs> I don't know if I had it on still then. That's not true. I had it on in high school for sure. Was there a ceremony when you got that ring? Yeah. 
No. Did you just get it yourself? Did your dad yeah, get it? Because I, I got it myself to promise that I would wait until marriage. And then when you had sex with your fiance, you took it off? I, I, I really do think I took it off before then, but yeah. <laughs> Why did you take it off? I probably like lost it. It was like not a fab oh. anymore. I don't remember. There wasn't like, it wasn't like a, I think you're putting a lot of emphasis on this and there really doesn't need to be. <laughs> I don't think there was that much to it. Like it didn't but mean it, that much to you. But it meant that much to me then in high school. Absolutely. It was a part of fitting in. This is what we did. It was the purity culture. It was like wearing this, wearing your virginity, like a badge of honor, which by the way, virginity is just bullshit and creates nothing but shame and fear. You talk hey, about that. Yeah, I would like to hear about that. What do you mean when you say virginity is bullshit? What do you mean by that? The concept of virginity is bullshit. What does it mean to lose your virginity? What are you losing? We put this idea in kids' heads that when you have sex, you lose something. And then you want us to connect. You create so much fear with that mindset. And you put so much emphasis on it. And then a kid does have sex out of passion. And they feel nothing but shame. Why don't we talk to kids about pleasure? Why don't we talk to kids about connection? Why don't we talk to kids about consent? Why don't we put so much emphasis on women saying that it's their fault when things happen because they're showing their breasts? No, how about it's your fucking son's faults for not controlling their bodies? It's bullshit. The whole purity culture is so damaging. And we just talk about abstinence. You can look at the statistics. When conservatives are in power, abortion rates go up. It's because conservatives not I'm, I'm speaking very broad strokes here. I know if there are people on here that are like, not me, please sit down. You're missing the point. It's not you. It's the party that you support as a whole, the party that you support. We push abstinence only. So kids aren't learned. They're not learned. They're not taught how to use their words. They're not really taught how to say no. The conversation is just say no. You know, Consent is so much bigger than saying no. Consent is so much more than that. It's communication. It's saying, it's asking, does this feel good? Do you like this? Is it okay if I do this? It's also the courage to raise your voice and say, hey, please stop. Hey, I'm not comfortable with this. Hey, I changed my mind. We are not taught to have difficult conversations. We avoid the difficult conversations with a fucking purity ring and with the word virginity. It puts so much pressure on it. Ooh, I got angry. What do you think? <laughs> what do you think about the word virginity? Um, I think I agree. I'm like, I don't think I disagree with anything you just said. I feel strongly about this as well. I think purity culture is shockingly damaging for people. Um, yeah. I think it's stunting. I think it does not set young people up for success. I think it raises the stakes way high when it comes to their sexuality or sexual experiences. It continues to like, it's estrange themselves from their own bodies, their own experiences. They don't get to trust themselves. It creates this almost paranoia around the whole arena, which, you know, yeah, absolutely gets in the way of pleasure and enjoyment and increases shame, which is, there's just a lot of bad fruit that's come from this space. Um, what would you say to someone who's like, hey, there is something beautiful or precious or important or valuable about you consenting to have a sexual experience with someone? Um, if someone's hearing you and they're like, well, it sounds like you're devaluing what's happening in sex. What would you say? To oh, them? I would say the absolute opposite. I'm not devaluing what's happening in sex. I'm adding value to sex because sex is connection. There should be connection. I'm saying, enjoy it. It's a gift. 
be present in it, use it as a way to connect, not a way to avoid or to numb. So I don't, I don't, I don't buy that. What would you say to them if they're like, okay, but shouldn't sex only happen in the context of commitment? Um, if that's what you believe, I support that. Beautiful. I struggle myself with, I don't really know. I don't have all the answers on what I believe. Mm. Personally, I have had sex in my life that was disconnected. You know, um, I have had sex in my life. I've used sex as a way of, un of avoiding uncomfortable feelings. I'm not proud of that. Um, but it's a part of my life. It's part of my journey. Like to numb out, you mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's healthy. Um, but, I, but, but what I do believe is that where I stand right now is that sex should be connected and consensual. I think that those are the two necessary components for sex. And, con and consent is not saying yes and then going especially in a new connection, it's constantly checking in. So if you were to speak to like 500 15 to 18 year olds at a Christian event, yeah. um, or let's say they're all like 500 gay 15 to 18 year old boys, men, mm -hmm. whatever, you know, yeah. teens. And it's a purity culture. It's a purity conference. They're there to learn about being men of God and, you know, like saving their virginity for marriage and all things. And, but then they're like, hey, we want someone to come in who has some other belief for them who, you know, you might have something of value to bring to the table. What would you tell those kids when it comes to sex and their bodies and in the context of the purity culture they've been raised in? What would you tell them? Yeah, that's a great question. I'd have to really think about it because that's okay. a huge responsibility. So I'll, I'll, I, will, I will openly verbalize the thoughts that are coming up to you, but let's understand that this is messy action and that's a huge responsibility. Yeah. Um, so in other words, to hold myself accountable, I don't have all the answers. I don't know what I would say. Um, some things that I think would come up is consent and connection. I think those two things are so important. Um, and, and also again, intention. What is your intention? I think if we look at Jesus asking way more questions than statement, than providing statements, I think we can do the same on stage. So I would like to think that I would come up with questions to ask, you know, yeah, is this consensual? Are you feeling connected? Is it, is it, is it, is it mutual, right? Is it, um, are you checking in on yourself and your partner throughout the process? Um, what would you be looking for if you're when you're checking in for your, with yourself? Yeah, good question. You know, this is all tied together with everything we've talked about. You and I are pretty mindful creatures because we've worked on mindfulness. So it comes a little easier to us. I'm gonna tell you a story. I had, um, used to have a lot, I still have some shame around sex. I used to have a lot more. And I used to adopt this belief that shame comes from God and that shame is, is information that what I'm doing is wrong. So I think I would tell, I would tell this to these, these, these kids as well, that it's not the voice of God. That's the voice of fear. It's possible that something happened that was wrong. Of course, I'm not saying that disregard it. it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It means there's a lesson to learn. This is what I love about Buddhism. Buddhism. Buddhists don't believe in the power of guilt. They believe in turning poison into medicine. 
So I'll give you an example of when I turned poison into medicine. I was talking about this in my with my therapist. And he helped me to make the connection that I feel shame when a part of sex is non-consensual. I'll give you an example. I was in a sexual situation with someone and in the middle of the sexual situation, I wanted it to stop. I didn't want it to keep going. Did he force himself on me? No, he did not. Um, I eventually acted like I wasn't feeling well and clumsily and awkwardly left. And I felt, this is after I had that conversation with my, oh, I'm, I'm kind of missing details. My therapist helped me to understand that I feel shame when something is non-consensual. So if I do something that my body was telling me wasn't right, but I did it anyway, I did not honor my body. I ignored my body and I did that because in the moment I chose to swallow the discomfort instead of holding space for the discomfort with my partner. Holding space with my partner and that moment and being awkward in the moment felt intolerable up till this point. So I carried that cross myself. So he helped me realize that, oh, there's a connection between, you know, something that's non-consensual and your body saying, hey, Eric, Eric, warning, warning, that's not right, that's not right. That's, that's what I felt was shame. I got that warning message and I'm like, you're bad to feel this. And that was the shame, right? So after this moment, we're in the middle. I was like, no, this doesn't feel good. I kept going for like a couple more minutes. And then I pretended that I wasn't feeling well and I left. And on my literal walk of shame, I first I started beating myself up. And then I was like, pause. And I talked to myself like a life coach. And I said, okay, let's, let's break this down. You're safe, Eric. Literally, these are the words going through my head. You're safe. And you left. So let's talk about what went well. Like, okay. Well, what went well was for the very first time, I heard that voice in my head say, no, this is not what we want. But it took the permission. It took the invitation from my therapist. Do you see that? Mm -hmm. I needed my therapist to point that out for me to become mindful of it. So you don't know what you don't know. But now I know it. So I can't ignore it. Um, so... That's what went well, as I heard that voice for the first time. That's awesome. That was super kind to myself. That's awesome. You should do something to celebrate that, right? Like, that's great. That's amazing. This is life-changing. What else went well? Well, I finally had the courage to say no, and I left. That's great. Good job. I love you for doing that. Okay, great. What could have been differently? What can we learn? Well, I kind of wish I would have said no sooner. Okay, great. What can you learn from that wish? Well, I can learn to strengthen that voice. And I can remember this uncomfortable moment that I violated my own body. And I never did that again. I've never done that before. I've never done that since. So I would tell them to listen. I would talk to them about mindfulness and journaling and learning. I would give them tools to love themselves so that in those moments they could honor their bodies. Nice. Eric, how are they gonna learn how to listen to their bodies when they're, if they're not in sexual experiences? Um, well, everyone's journey is different, right? So this is, this is where it gets tricky because am I talking to a group of people or one-on-one, -on -one, right? Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, you can listen to your body without having sex. Other things you can do if you choose to masturbate is listen to your body then. 
do a body exploration, stand naked in front of the mirror with a curious mind, just do a body scan and just note, start with this, noting the different parts of your body. I see my hair, it's this color. I see the freckle on right above my left eye. I'm just making things up. I see my eyebrows, I see my eyes. You go down your entire body, just note it, okay? I have a friend who that would that that was an intolerable belief. She hated her body. There was so much body dysmorphia. She couldn't do that. But you know what she could do? I'm so proud of her for this. She was able to sit with a hot cup of tea and feel the warmth on her hands and enjoy that sensation. That's where it started for her. So everyone's journey is different. If you can note your body with a curious mind, the next step is noting things that you like about your body. Right? And then, you know, if, again, if you do masturbate, um, you know, attempt to do that without porn, the end result is not an orgasm. It's not about that destination. It's about the journey. So connect with your body. Ask yourself, what, what sort of touch feels good? Does it feel, does it feel, what does it feel like to lightly touch my hand on my, across my chest? Do I like that? Ooh, I like that feeling. I'm going to do it again. Oh, that feels nice. So we're baby steps, right? Like you can like ease into it. You can ease into a sexual relationship with yourself. This is connected. It's consensual and uh, in itself love. So I would, I would try to give you tools to become more in love with your own body. We accept the love we think we deserve. So why don't we learn how to love our bodies? One thing I'm ex I've experienced in my life I'm thinking about breakups right now. And I've experienced, you know, I think I'm good sometimes and I'm ready to date and everything. And then I go on a date with someone and I like start to feel feelings for him. And I'm like, oh shit, I'm not fully healed. And it's easy to like shame yourself for that in that moment. But what's happening is there's certain things that cannot be resolved until the stakes are rate rising again. If you're not having an attraction with for someone else, there are some things you cannot fully processed from your last heartbreak until you experience another human being re-stimulating you in that way again. So there are certain things that you can't fully prepare for without having sex. It does not mean that you should go out and have sex to be prepared. I don't think that's the reason you should have sex. So I'm curious, what would you say, and maybe this isn't necessarily in the purity culture space, you deal with towing a line between the queer community or the queer world and the church world, and there's not a ton of overlap between these two worlds, right? Um, is there not? I think, well, maybe for some people there is. I would say for the majority of people that I talk to in my world, there's not a ton of overlap. It's not non-existent, it's just not common. I think that that's, I think that our communities need permission. I talk to people all the time when they ask me what I do, and I tell them, and I can't tell you how many of my friends or even dates that I've gone on will say things like, oh my God, you're, you're preaching to the choir. That was me. And then we have a beautiful conversation about their relationship with God and why they left the church or why they're in church or whatever. Most people do leave the church. Um, but I think that we all desperately yearn to be seen safe and celebrated. And I think that that is God. So I think it's, I think the need and the desire is there. It just might not be something we talk about. Yeah, sorry. I don't, I, maybe you're hearing me say something I'm not saying. I'm not talking about gay people not having spirituality or relationships with God. I'm talking about like Christianity, the institutionalized church and their involvement with it. I think yeah. most gay people I know 
have removed themselves from that environment, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's not common for those people to be like, it's not common for most gay people to be teaching a Sunday school class or to be going to a church on a Sunday. Like that's not normal for most gay people, even if they have a functional relationship with God. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering what, what would you say to the church world in light of what you know and what you're experiencing in your, what's the word I want? The dichotomy of your unique experience. What would you say to the church world regarding their relationship with the queer community or the lack thereof? Do you have anything yeah. you would say to the church body? How much time do you have? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, to your point, and I hear you now, thank you for the correction. To your point, the top 100, the, 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 the top 100 largest churches in America are still unaffirming, are still anti-gay. Um, and y'all, if you are listening to this and you don't know if your church is affirming of queer people, that means it's not. Because affirming churches will go out of their way to let us know. Now, the pushback for that would be like, why do I need to have a gay, you know, a rainbow flag in, in front of my church? You need it because churches have made us feel unsafe our whole lives. I will, my boundary is I will never, never is a strong word. I don't see myself stepping inside an, an unaffirming church again, unless they invite me to speak. That's a different story. Um, I've, I've missed out on weddings because of it. Um, I don't feel safe in those churches and I, and I, and it, it's got to stop. Um, people think that might be extreme. Well, it's a protest. If you don't like it, then go to the church. You know, that's your choice. The church has got to make a decision. Either come out publicly against us or come out publicly for us. God does not want you lukewarm. It's coward. There's a church called Mosaic. I love name dropping. Down the street. <laughs> and it's sort of a, so many gay people go there. It, it blows my mind. It is you know, uh, it's contemporary music. It's it's a big stage. It's a lot of lights. They're not anti-gay. They refuse to talk about it. And it's coward. What's the word? Cowardice? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Dang it. Can we do that again? <laughs> yeah, you can if you want. Cow it's cowardice. It's it's bullshit. It and it's and it's all for money. I don't, you know, we don't want to make people uncomfortable. Jesus made people uncomfortable every day. You freaking flip the tables and you're and you're over here in the name of God silencing yourself. It's bullshit. Pick a side because I need to know where I'm safe. I have too much trauma in churches that have hurt me that are not affirming that just didn't say anything about it. That's bullshit. And you're hurting people because of it. Pick a side and let us know if you're with us or if you're against us. And if you're not doing that, you are a coward. So that's the first thing. Choose a side. I don't let me ask you real quick do you please. based on what you just said does that mean you respect churches who come out as blatantly anti-gay more than churches that oh. don't say anything that's a great question like at least they're honest and upfront about where they are and what you can expect from them yeah yeah like I think boundaries can be clear with those people at least I think I do and you know what in those situations I blame the people I blame the people that make up the church. Yeah, that's so then the onus is on the people. So then, so those people are informed consumers, right? So at least the church, but like the church itself is being clear. But you are going to the church, right? I have family members who voted for Trump 
And they say, Eric, I don't understand why you're so upset. We believe that being gay is fine. I don't care what you believe. I care where your freaking vote goes. Your vote supports a party that continues to, demor to dehumanize the queer community. You are a part of the problem if you voted for Trump. I say that with confidence. And I do think it's that black and white. Oh, Eric, please don't let the media bullshit. Bullshit. You are a part of a party that continues to make it unsafe for us. There are still 20 some states where it is legal to fire people for being gay. So don't tell me that your belief is enough. Put it with your thoughts and prayers. No, that is a way for you to avoid your discomfort when you go to the ballot box. I think it's the same for people that go to church. You know, if you, if you, if you don't think there's anything wrong with being gay and you go to a church that preaches at the pulpit that it's wrong, and then, and then gay teens are five times more likely to attempt suicide than straight teens. That is bad theology. If your theology is killing people, it's not good theology. One of my friends said that bad theology makes for bad psychology, and it's true. Yeah. When your theology makes me not want to be alive, that is not Christ, and you're supporting that? I mean, the people that preach the pulpit do it because they have an audience. They love an audience. And you're feeding that. And if you're upset right now, ask yourself why. Don't purge it onto me. Ask yourself why you're upset. And if, you're, if you rush to defense, that's a, that, that might be a sign that you're not ready to sit in the discomfort that you are a part of the problem. And also for people listening, if you come to me and you're like, whew, that was really hard to hear, Eric. I got really angry when you said that. Can I talk to you about that? Absolutely. I love those conversations. Yes, let's talk about it. If you can recognize that I made you upset, but you're like, oh, this just doesn't feel right. Can we talk about it? I can 100% hold space for that. Yes, it's okay. It's okay for you to be angry. It's okay. I don't have all the answers. You can very easily teach me something but it's possible that you don't have all the answers either. So if you understand that this feels really uncomfortable and I don't really know why, and I kind of want to get to the bottom of this and maybe maybe asking Eric some, quest some questions might help me get to the bottom of it, amen. Oh, I have so much respect for you. But if you hear these words and you push it aside and you say, well, that's not me, then you're not sitting in discomfort with me. You're not showing me discomfort. You're not showing me compassion. You're choosing perfectionism. You're choosing to avoid the intolerable belief that maybe, maybe you are a part of the problem. So that's your choice because the queer community is awesome. And you are missing out on so much love and excitement and lessons and beauty. Yeah, I, I find myself often still having to clarify, like, why don't people get this? Like, why is this still so detached from their experience, right? Um, and so you have this whole like recognition of privilege and disconnection. Oh, I don't have to care about that. That's yeah, not as important. You know? Yeah, do you wanna talk about that for a second? I'd be curious to hear what you have to say about it. Actually, I'd like to tell a story because I feel like I was just super harsh and I wanna shed some compassion. Okay. Um, I was in St. Louis at, uh, I was preaching at a church and there was like a really fun like Q&A like the, the Thursday before 
before I preached at this bar and some patrons of the church came and uh, I talked to some people after this, after this, and there was this man like sitting like this at the beginning. And by the end of, I don't know what I was preaching about. I wasn't preaching, but I was clearly preaching. <laughs> by the end, somewhere like in, near the end, he goes, yes. <laughs> like, like I fired him up. Like he agreed with what I said. It was about love or something. And he got so fired up. So I'm like, oh, maybe I'm breaking through. And also maybe I got to check my own assholery. Maybe I was judging him too soon. That's not cool. That's not cool on me. I do it too. I absolutely do it too. So easy for me to put all non-believers, and when I say non-believers, I mean non-allies. Um, that's not, when I, I don't mean believers, I mean believer that being homosexuality is a gift, right? So non-allies in one group, and that's not fair. Um, because then I leave no room for compassion. So I went up, <laughs> I went up to them after and I sat down and they were there. They drove an hour. They're not a part of this church. They drove an hour because their church is now voting on if they should become affirming or non-affirming. So they are going to take a stand. They're going to say yes or no. And the church itself is voting. And the woman said for the very first, she goes, I've always thought it was wrong, but for the first time, I was being held accountable for that and it didn't feel good. She's like, I just don't know if I can vote no on something that I don't have the information for. I was like, oh, I love you. I love you. It takes so much courage to say that. And then we sat and we talked for 30 minutes and we just connected on so much, both of them. And they bought me a beer and they hugged me and they got my phone number. And they texted me and it was beautiful. And so it's possible to change. So I'm not, I want to be clear. I'm not trying to demonize anyone here. I just want to hold people accountable. I think that she held herself accountable. And it was such a beautiful lesson for me to do the same. Nice. Love that. Yeah, that's huge. I always appreciate and respect when someone's willing to be like, yeah, I don't know this. Maybe yeah. I, here. I think I didn't do something here that I should have. I'm like, that takes, yeah, agree. It takes courage, takes guts to be, even be able to admit that and express it to someone else, even not even having the answer, just being able to admit, I don't know. I'm like, wow. And I think it's our job to hold space for that. You know, I, I just actually just made a reactionary video on TikTok. It was a man who said, I voted for Trump. I was wrong. I got duped. This is what happened. And, you know, a lot of conservatives, you know, pushed back and bullied him for betraying their party. And a lot of liberals bullied him and said, it's too late. And I said, no, how, how dare liberals say that? No, we have to leave space for grace and compassion. We have to let people in when they want to learn more. We have to. We'll never change if we choose shame. Shame is not a social justice tool. You have to humanize. I do too. And again, I will be the first to say that I don't always choose, choose love. I don't. So we have to leave space for that. Thank you for being honest and vulnerable and like letting yourself get angry. I appreciate that. You know, because like sometimes it's easier just to like give the PR answer and be nice and like clean about it. But you know, some of this stuff, I'm like, oh, I don't know. Is that honest though? You know, so thanks for letting yourself get angry. I appreciate that. Um, 
if I am being honest with myself, I get angry, you know, regularly with doing this work. I can't not get angry unless I'm just de detached from feeling any of it. Then I'm fine. You know what I mean? And people are like, how do you do this? I'm like, I think probably often I'm fine because I'm not letting it hit me. I'm not feeling it. I'm like, oh, this person, you know, I'm probably dehumanizing the people on the other side saying all these terrible things. So yeah. I don't have to feel it, right? Which isn't the solution or the answer, but also anyway, so that's a whole different conversation, but I appreciate you being able to like go there and feel it. And, you know, cause that takes energy, man. That's work <laughs> to let yourself feel this stuff, you know? Cause it like, it costs to feel it. What is that face? Because I don't, <laughs> wait, I have, to, I have to scan this over to see what the face look like. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's pretty. Um, I, cause I'm tired and I don't know how to not feel. I don't know how to not feel. I have a very, very deep, rich capacity to feel pain. And I have a very, very, very deep, rich capacity to feel love. And you can't have one without the other. Um, I wanna ask you a closing question. Um, I did not tell you this. I don't know why, I think I just didn't think about it. Um, so that's, I mean, that's kind of cool cause then you're gonna get to be surprised by this. But I ask every guest that I have on here um, cause my podcast is called Confessions of a Reformer. Do you have a confession you would like to share? Yeah. My biggest fear in the world is that I'm not enough. That's my biggest fear. And it shows up in all areas of my life. I feel if, if I work this hard, then I will get what I want. And if I don't, then I am not enough. And so what I'm saying is that I don't trust God in that. I put out so much outward energy and I don't receive. Mm. I'm not good at receiving help. I'm not good at asking for help. I'm not good at receiving help. I'm good at asking for help if it's something I can check off. Great, I did it. But I don't receive. I don't sit back and receive from the universe. Mm. I work and I get, but I don't receive. And it stems from an extremely uncomfortable belief that I, as I am, am not enough. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm getting hit. This is horrible. I got to get out of this. Um, that's relatable. Nice. Okay, Eric, question. How do people get hold of you? How do gay men who want to get out of church shame? How do they get a hold of you? What do they do? Tell them the things. Yes. So you can follow me on Instagram, which is my name, Eric Feltes, E-R-I-C-F-E-L-T-E-S, or on TikTok, which is Eric.Feltes. You can also go to lifecoachingbyfeltes.com. And what I will say, well, let me tell you this. If, if any of this resonated with you and you're like, I just, I, I want to reach out. I don't know what to say. I invite you to, to, to type the word help. That's it. Eric, thank you for the work that you do. Thank thanks you for, for having me. Thank you for the work you do. For sure. Yeah, thanks for creating space and putting the message out there and just being a voice and an advocate and an example and inviting people in like, 
What a gift. Thank you for hustling for us. We appreciate it. All right. So that concludes my interview with Eric. Uh, so good. So all the links that we mentioned earlier are found below this episode. If you want to check any and all of that out, and please do. Eric's amazing. So glad that he exists and he's doing what he's doing. I also want to let all of you know that you know, it's been about 10 months since we've been running Numa Plus. And now that space, we've just been observing the culture and dynamic of the users engaging there. And we've realized Numa Plus is less of a streaming platform, or at least people maybe want it less to be that. And it's more of a membership space. And I think people are more interested in content that I'm specifically uniquely creating. So I'm going to be creating exclusive content for that space. Yeah. And it's just like. Um, content like this, like a, a lot of unedited, raw, almost live type content where I'll be talking, I'll be doing a hot take every month. I'll be doing a review of like a book excerpt or some kind of media or trending topics or things I'm running into on social media, like, you know, hate tweets or what have you. <laughs> um, and then also I'll be, um, sh you'll be going on a walk with me once a month. I'll be sh sharing um, with you just from these raw walks. So uh, it's going to be a really cool space. I'm highly anticipatory of the content I'll be putting there and it's only going to be available for people subscribing to that. So if you want to check that out, you can also click on the link below. It's going to be the Numa Plus link. Um, that's going to be for like basically the diehard people who want to get deeper into the things that I'm talking about regularly and stay up to speed and hearing the fresh raw content that's coming out. So check that out. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next time. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.